0: Good morning. Good to see everyone here this morning. Let's go ahead and get started. Um, Matt's been really helpful. He's been passing out a one sheet piece of paper uh, you're going to want that for the Sunday school lesson. There should be enough one for everyone um, we may You may have to share if we um, go through all of them, but i think I think there should be enough so uh, if you didn't get one of those. Uh, just slip your hand up or Matt Matt will see you and be able to, to get you an extra copy there. Anyone not get one of those that's in here? Okay, thanks, Matt. Well, let, let's go ahead and pray um, as we begin this morning. Heavenly Father, we are grateful uh, for this day. This, this is the day you've made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it, Lord. And what a wonderful way to spend this day that you've made, to gather with your people and to gather around your word uh, and exalting your Christ. Lord, we, we pray that you would bless this time, Lord. I pray that you would give us um, just a spirit of unity, Lord, not just in this time right now, but in our church, Lord. May we be um, marked by our love for one another. You said that very clearly, that, that the world would know us as your disciples by our love for one another. Lord, we pray that would be very evident in this body of believers. And we pray that it wouldn't reflect back on us, it would reflect back on the love with which you've shown us in Christ. And we ask this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. Well, uh, chapter 5. So today we enter into chapter 5, which really is a a turn in the book. Um, So at this point we've been looking at conscience, but we've been looking at it from a more individual uh, perspective. So really looking at your particular conscience, so why uh, you believe, and, and even going back to the definition he had earlier in the book, like, the conscience is your beliefs about what is right and wrong, right? So it's a very personal thing, and that's kind of what we've been looking at at this point. Up to this point, it's been your personal conscience, right? Um, and, and yet, once we get to chapter 5, it takes a little bit of a turn to now, how do you relate to others, so if you think it's complex to think about your own conscience, to think about how you've come to conclusions on right and wrong, and just think about the journey—we we talked about this last week. Matt did an excellent job, but think about your own personal journey, in, in things of in your growth in the Christian life, and how there were probably things early on. Once again, uh, the author uses the language of you know adding to your conscience, subtracting. There were things early on. That you probably had added to your conscience that once you start studying the scriptures, you, you start realizing, I don't see this anywhere. This, 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 this seems to be something I've just grown up with or a man-made law or a tradition that I've made into a right and wrong. And you've thought, oh, I, I think I should remove that because here's what the Word of God says. Or you've had things that you haven't had in your conscience that you felt like these were liberties you had. And as you started reading scripture, you thought this doesn't align with what Christ says as a disciple. And I need to actually add this to my conscience because this doesn't look like Christ, right? So you've been doing that individually. Now just think of, that's just you. Now think about everyone else who's doing that same thing simultaneously. And then think about all of us being put together in a room with all of our different backgrounds and all the different ways we've been raised and grown up and and things that we've learned and now, how do you relate to one another? It's, it's not an insignificant question. It's a, it's a very important question. Um, in fact, uh, the book of Romans, our author is going to say this. In the entire book of Romans, one of the greatest letters ever written, Paul spends about 10% of the letter talking about this issue. How do you relate to other people who have differences of conscience? That's a pretty significant portion of an excellent one of the best letters we have that's devoted to this. So, it, it it helps us to to actually think about this as a group as well. So, chapter five we're actually going to be in it for three weeks. Um, so, it's one of the longer chapters, but because of its significance, uh, we're just taking it a little bit at a time. Uh, but as we before we get there, if you if you read the the chapter uh, the page eighty five, he uses the language of theological triage. And actually, uh, they borrowed that language from the article that I passed out. So if you, if you came in late, Matt's got this article, uh, we're going to read this article. And I normally don't do this. It's just a front and back. I normally don't do this. I don't like to just read to you, but it wasn't part of the book, and it is going to help us with our conversation. So before I read it, I am going to let you know... I don't agree with 100% that's in this, okay? I'm just going to go ahead and put that out there so that once you get to things in there, don't get hung up on it. Let's just read through the whole thing, and then I want you to be prepared because I'm going to ask you two questions at the end of it, and they're going to be asked in this particular order. One, what do you agree with? So it's easy sometimes to read something and be like, I don't like that he said that. I don't like that he said that. And then you're stuck because all you've thought about is, I don't like what he the conclusion he came to. Um, hold off on that. I want to ask, what do you agree with in this letter? And then we can talk about, hey, what did you disagree with? What did you disagree with with what was said here? So I'm going to begin reading. Like I said, I normally wouldn't do this all, but we're going to get through this fast. And because I've got the microphone, I'm just going to read the whole thing. But follow along. Uh, this is a call for theological triage and Christian maturity. In every generation, the church is commanded to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. That's from Jude. That is not an easy task, and it is complicated by the multiple attacks upon Christian truth that mark our contemporary age. Assaults upon the Christian faith are no longer directed only at isolated doctrines. The entire structure of Christian truth is now under attack by those who would subvert Christianity's theological integrity. Today's Christian faces the daunting task of strategizing which Christian doctrines and theological issues are to be given highest priority in terms of our contemporary context. This applies both to the public defense of Christianity in face of the secular challenge and the internal responsibility of dealing with doctrinal disagreements. Neither is an easy task, but theological seriousness and maturity demand that we consider doctrinal issues in terms of their relative importance. Okay, I'll stop right there. Um, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15.3 tells the Corinthians, I delivered to you, does anyone know what comes after? As of first importance, okay? I delivered to you as of first importance, what I don't think Paul's saying is everything else in Corinthians, all these things that are the Word of God. Paul wasn't just speaking on his own. This is the Word of God. They're all important. Everything he's written is important. But he's actually making a distinction that there are things of more importance than others. And when Paul goes on, what is of most importance to Paul? The gospel. When he goes on, he says, I delivered you as of first importance. What follows is the gospel pure and simple. It's that Christ died according to the, and it's all according to the scriptures, that he was raised according to the scriptures, that he was seen by many according to the scriptures. So Paul's saying that there are things of first importance, not that things aren't important in the Bible, but there are things of first importance. So we'll continue on. Um, God's truth, this is still a second paragraph here, God's truth is to be defended at every point and in every detail, but responsible Christians must determine which issues deserve first rank of attention in a time of theological crisis. A trip to the local hospital emergency room some years ago alerted me to an intellectual tool that is most helpful in fulfilling our theological responsibility. In recent years, emergency medical personnel have practiced a discipline known as triage, A process that allows trained personnel to make a quick evaluation of relative medical urgency. Given the chaos of an emergency room reception area, someone must be armed with the medical expertise to make an immediate determination of medical priority. Which patients should be rushed into surgery? Which patients can wait for a less urgent examination? Medical personnel cannot flinch from asking these questions and from taking responsibility to give the patients with the most critical needs top priority in terms of treatment. The word triage comes from the French word trier, which means to sort. Thus, the triage officer in the medical context is the frontline agent for deciding which patients need the most urgent treatment. Without such a process, the scraped knee would receive the same urgency of consideration as a gunshot wound to the chest. The same discipline that brings order to the hectic arena of the emergency room can also offer great assistance to Christians defending truth in the present age. So this makes sense in the medical field. If you've been in the emergency room and you've got the flu... Praise God that you go further down the line when someone comes in with chest pains, jaw pain, and pain shooting down their arms, right? That person should probably be looked at quicker. So this is triaging what needs the most help. So he's saying this needs to be our way of looking at theological controversies as well. So he goes on. He says, the discipline of theological triage would require Christians to determine a scale of theological urgency that would correspond to the medical world's framework for medical priority. With this in mind, I would suggest three different levels of theological urgency, each corresponding to a set of issues and theological priorities found in current doctrinal debates. First-level theological issues would include those doctrines most central and essential to the Christian faith. Included among these most crucial doctrines would be doctrines such as the Trinity the full deity and humanity of Jesus Christ, justification by faith, and the authority of scripture. The first tier, think first tier as in if you're not in agreement on first tier, I question whether you're a Christian. That's how important these issues are. If you're if you're not in agreement with any of these things, that Christ isn't fully God, fully man, that justification doesn't come by faith, by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone. If you're not uh, the resurrection, you know, wasn't real, these kinds of things. If you're if you're disagreeing with any of these things, then I'm questioning whether you're a Christian. Right. First level tears. utmost importance. These are these are gospel issues. Um, In the earliest centuries of the Christian movement, heretics directed their most dangerous attacks upon the church's understanding of who Jesus is and in what sense he's the very Son of God. Satan was attacking these very things because they're foundational to the gospel, right? This is where the attacks were coming in the early church. Other crucial debates concern the question of how the Son is related to the Father and the Holy Spirit. The earliest creeds and councils of the church were, in essence... Emergency measures taken to protect the central core of Christian doctrine. At historic turning points, such as the councils of Nicaea, Constantinople, and Chalcedon, orthodoxy was vindicated and heresy was condemned. And these councils dealt with doctrines of unquestionable first-order importance. Christianity stands or falls on the affirmation that Jesus Christ is fully man and fully God. Absolutely essential. The church quickly moved to affirm that the full deity and full humanity of Jesus Christ are absolutely necessary to the Christian faith. Any denial of what has become known as Nicene, Chalcedonian Christology is by definition condemned as a heresy. The essential truths of the Incarnation include the death, burial, and bodily resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The things Paul says is of utmost importance in 1 Corinthians 15. Those who deny these revealed truths are by definition not Christians. First order issues. Christian or not Christian. These are important. The same is true with the doctrine of the Trinity. The early church clarified and codified its understanding, second page, of the one true and living God by affirming the full deity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit while insisting that the Bible reveals one God in three persons. In addition to the Christological and Trinitarian doctrines, the doctrine of justification by faith must also be included among these first-order truths. Without this doctrine... We are left with the denial of the gospel itself, and salvation is transformed into some structure of human righteousness. If you're not justified by grace through faith in Christ alone, then your justification comes through works, and that is absolutely not the gospel. Galatians is all about that, adding anything on to what Christ has done, right? Without this doctrine, we're left with the denial of the gospel itself. I read that the truthfulness and authority of the Holy Scriptures must also rank as a first-order doctrine. For without an affirmation of the Bible as the very word of God, we're left without any adequate authority for distinguishing truth from error. Inerrancy, sufficiency, authority of God's word. Those are first-order issues as well. Okay? These first-order doctrines represent the most fundamental truths of the Christian faith, and a denial of these doctrines represents nothing less than an eventual denial of Christianity itself. Okay, I'm going to just pause right here. I told you what I'd ask you at the end. First order issues. What else? He did, I don't think he covers all of them, but think about think about first order issues. So, things that if someone denies we're questioning whether they're a Christian. We need to be really clear about what what those issues are. Those are the issues worth fighting over, right? So, those are the issues worth if someone comes and teaches something different, we're going after him and calling him a false teacher because that teaching leads people to hell okay so first order issues are worth a fight and worth a strong fight any other things come to your mind as we were reading through those he talks about justification by faith and of scripture Jesus fully God fully man the Trinity yeah I think that's essential yeah any other thoughts first order yeah Yeah, fully God, fully man. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Only way. Jesus Christ is the only way, and for those who reject it, judgment and hell. That's what the Bible says. I think that's a first-order issue. Yeah. It's a good point. So so just yeah, I think that's a good example. So let's think thief on the cross. Okay? Thief on the cross, what 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 do we know of what he says just from his mouth? I mean it's hard to read so much into what he knew, but from his mouth, think back to what that conversation went like. What did he know of Christ? He knew Christ had a kingdom. He knew Christ wasn't deserving of what he was getting. Did you, you you catch that when he says we're here justly because of what we've done? This man's done nothing wrong, so he knows some personal sin. He knows he's done something worthy of death. He knows this man's done nothing worthy of death. He knows he's got a kingdom and he's going into that kingdom. But if we sat him down and asked him about you know all the theological distinctions of what we're talking about here. He may not have known all those things. So it may not have been outright denial. It could have been ignorance. So I do think you have to be careful with with what is necessary. It's to call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, right? I think there are people who call on the name of Christ, and they may not know all these things, and yet they know they're desperate, needy, and Christ can save them, and that's enough. I think that's enough, right? So that is a good clarification. Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah. If mm-hmm. I Yeah, the the gospel is simple enough that a little child can believe it. And and even I mean, someone who their mental faculties may not even all be there. So think about someone who is mentally handicapped can still be saved, right? A child can, and yet you can also have PhDs who've been studying it their whole life, and they don't get to the end of it. So it's simple, and yet there, there is a, there's a richness to it that you don't ever get to the end of it, right? So, so that, that, yes, David.
1: Mm-hmm. Only those people believe, you know, mm-hmm. that believe to him. Hmm. 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 Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so there has to be a way to discern this is the true church. This is the not
0: the true church. Right. Oh yeah. Absolutely.
1: Hmm. Hmm.
0: Hmm. Yes. Hmm. That's good. If you didn't hear that, loving the truth—not just knowing it, but but loving it. Ben. Absolutely. Yeah Yes, he's definitely talking about people who are aware of these things and are denying them, right? Right.
1: mm-hmm
0: mm-hmm and these these first order I mean when you when you start reading Paul and the letters so these are the first order issues where when someone comes in and starts saying something else he's not He's not, you know, withholding punches because these are first order issues, and so people are leading others astray from the Christian faith through these things. So he's going to talk in Romans 14, 15 about covering over in love when there's disagreements. We're not talking about first order issue disagreements. Look at the rest of Paul's letters, and you're going to see Paul will fight tooth and nail. When, when the person of Christ is questioned, when people add to salvation, add something on top of Christ, because then the gospel's distorted and diminished, right? And so he'll fight for those things. But so that's why we need to be clear, what are these first order issues? Because we do need to be clear on these. If someone comes into our church and begins teaching against these first order, it is your responsibility as members, it's the responsibility of the elders to confront those individuals and say you're an heresy. This is wrong. This is wrong. You're going to lead people to hell with these thoughts, right? Um, And we need to be, we can do that lovingly, right? But if they're hostile and continue on, then then you have to be forceful with these things. But that's first order, okay? We're going to drop down. Let's keep going. Uh, This is left column on the back page. He says, the set of second order doctrines is distinguished from the first order. I'm just going to read all through this and then we're going to talk. By the fact that believing Christians may disagree on the second-order issues, though this disagreement will create significant boundaries between believers. When Christians organize themselves into congregations and denominational forms, these boundaries become evident. Why are there so many churches? Why are there so many denominations? I mean, I'm not going to get into that question fully because we could be here for a little while, but at some point there are, for us to say... Audubon Drive Bible Church is the only biblical church in this part of the country, in Lowell Mississippi, would be completely wrong. That's that's not right. Um, There are other gospel-centered, Bible-believing churches that may differ on some of these second-order distinctions, and that's why they're in a different church, but we're not going to not call these brothers and sisters, right? You will one day be sitting next to some of those people around the the banquet table, you know, the marriage supper of the Lamb. They'll be there with you, right? So it'd be great to learn to love them now um, and enjoy them now, even if there's some distinctions, right? But there are distinctions. And and so he continues on. He says, second-order issues would include the meaning and mode of baptism. Baptists and Presbyterians, for example, fervently disagree over the most basic understanding of Christian baptism. The practice of infant baptism is inconceivable to the Baptist mind, while Presbyterians trace infant baptism to their most basic understanding of the covenant. Standing together on the first order doctrines, Baptists and Presbyterians eagerly recognize each other as believing Christians, but recognize that disagreement on issues of this importance will prevent fellowship within the same congregation or denomination. Don't worry, we will come back to this Christians across a vast denominational range can stand together on the first-order doctrines and recognize each other as authentic Christians while understanding that the existence of second-order disagreements prevents the closeness of fellowship we would otherwise enjoy. A church either will recognize infant baptism or it will not. That choice immediately creates a second-order conflict with those who take the other position by conviction. In recent years, the issue of women serving as pastors has emerged as another second-order issue. Again, a church or denomination either will ordain women to the pastorate or it will not. Second-order issues resist easy settlement by those who would prefer an either-or approach. Many of the most heated disagreements among serious believers take place at the second-order level, for these issues frame our understanding of the church and its ordering by the word of God." Third-order issues are doctrines over which Christians may disagree and remain in close fellowship even within local congregations. I would put most of the debates over eschatology, for example, in this category. Christians who affirm the bodily, historical, and victorious return of the Lord Jesus Christ may differ over timetable and sequence without rupturing the fellowship of the church. Christians may find themselves in disagreement over any number of issues related to the interpretation of difficult texts, or the understanding of matters of common disagreement. Nevertheless, standing together on issues of more urgent importance, believers are able to accept one another without compromise when third-order issues are in question. Paul's going to use the language of welcoming one another in Romans 15. Um, A structure of theological triage does not imply that Christians may take any biblical truth with less than full seriousness. Let's, Let's say that again. Lest we have misunderstood him in this. A structure of theological triage does not imply that Christians may take any biblical truth with less than full seriousness. He's not watering down parts of the Bible, but recognizing that, as Paul said, there are issues of first importance. We are charged to embrace and to teach the comprehensive truthfulness of the Christian faith as revealed in the Holy Scriptures. There are no insignificant doctrines revealed in the Bible, but there is an essential foundation of truth that undergirds the entire system of biblical truth. This structure of theological triage may also help to explain how confusion can often occur in the midst of doctrinal debate. If the relative urgency of these truths is not taken into account, the debate can quickly become unhelpful. The error of theological liberalism is evident in a basic disrespect for biblical authority in the church's treasury of truth. The mark of true liberalism is the refusal to admit that first-order theological issues even exist. The mark of true liberalism is the denial that there are even such things as first-order issues. Ah, We can all get, to get along. That's, that's true theological liberalism. Liberals treat first-order doctrines as if they were merely third-order in importance. Eh, take them or leave them. And doctrinal ambiguity is the inevitable result. Fundamentalism, on the other hand, tends toward the opposite error. The, ju- the misjudgment of true fundamentalism is the belief that all disagreements concern first-order doctrines. All disagreements. If you disagree about anything, the gloves come off and let's duke it out because we're going to fight this through. We have, to, we have to be unified on everything we think about. Thus, third-order issues are raised to a first-order importance, and Christians are wrongly and harmfully divided. Last paragraph. Living in an age of widespread doctrinal denial and intense theological confusion, thinking Christians must rise to the challenge of Christian maturity, even in the midst of a theological emergency. We must sort the issues with a trained mind and a humble heart. I like that. A trained mind and a humble heart in order to protect what the Apostle Paul called the treasure that has been entrusted to us. Given the urgency of this challenge, a lesson from the emergency room just might help. Okay, agreements, things that were helpful in this. I want to start there. A verse um, that would be helpful for all of us to have at ready memory uh, w- would be 1 Corinthians 4.7. 1 Corinthians 4.7 says, What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? So what do you have that hasn't been given to you? If you think correctly about all these doctrinal issues. So let's just take even some third tier issues. If your eschatology ends up being right, okay, and, and you were spot on, like you got it, how'd you come to that? You were just really smart. You really worked. You really figured it out. You dug in, and you got it. Those other guys who, they just didn't work hard enough, or they just missed some things. No, if, if ultimately you're right, God was gracious and merciful to let you come to this knowledge of the truth, Right? And so the humility has to undergird all of that. What do you have that you didn't receive? That goes to possessions. What do you have physically that you weren't given? Yeah, you worked hard, you did these things, but ultimately other people work hard too and they may not have those things. God gifts these things. That's the same thing for knowledge. That's the same thing for maturity in thinking about some of these things. If you're thinking correctly on some of these things, God's been merciful to you. You should be humble and then patient with others who maybe haven't come to that. Okay, uh, more agreements with this. Ben? They're going to see this modeled from their parents, too. So how you speak of other Christians, even Christians you disagree with, but if you're disagreeing with them on second, third, how you speak about them, whether it's with respect and love or they're just, they're missing it. Kids pick up on this. They're going to pick up not just on what you're saying, but the tone in which you're saying. So if you're talking about those other people that just don't have it right, but when we look at the gospel, we're like, okay, we agree on all these first order. We just don't agree on this. You know, kids are going to pick up on this. So I think that's a, a helpful thing. Other, Jamie. 有 No, that's helpful. And, and, and that even leads to the point of the, the benefit also of church history. So Richard's, he slipped out, but one of, one of the benefits, one of the reasons we have church history, a lot of the things we're still seeing today, they've been settled on in church history. Okay. We think that, I think a lot of times we think there's new things coming at us today, Well, we live in a different time. Things are way worse now. This is all happening all these challenges, these heresies were coming up in the early church because Satan was throwing fiery darts at the truth of God. And so a lot of the heresies that we saw then are the same heresies today. Jesus isn't really the son of God. Man's really not that bad. This is Pelagius. Pelagius taught, you know, there's not a a full sin nature. Man hasn't inherited some full sin nature. Guys, they may not use the language, but that's exactly what we hear today. Man's Good. He's, he's got some bad rough edges, but essentially he's good, he's okay. You know, these things have been settled long ago, so the benefit of knowing these things, that that's why we, we don't do church history for just sake of history and facts. Like, it really does help us think about, you know, today and where we're facing. So those are agreements, disagreements? There's a big one. And, and yet it's not saying, so he's using specifically women in pastoral roles. It's not saying not to have convictions on that. Our church has convictions on that. We believe the Bible clearly teaches that, that the role of pastor-overseer is, 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 a, is a male position because that's what God outlines in his word. We believe that. We're going to teach that. But the the question is, is it, and the reason it's a second tier, so it's not saying that it's not in the word of God. It's not saying, once again, this isn't acting like all issues are just not important. It's an important one, but where is it on the level? Is it possible, and I'm just saying, is it possible that there are brothers and sisters, true believers in Christ, going to churches where women are on the pastoral staff? Yes? Yes. I believe that as well. Would it be beneficial for those churches to grow in their thinking and seeing what God's word says about the role of women? Yes, and that would be the desire. Same thing with uh, elders, for example. There's a lot of churches in the area, a lot of churches in the world that don't have elders. Once again, we believe that, that is biblically prescribed, not just a good idea, not just, hey, it'd be good if you had elders in your church. Actually, no. The Bible says you should appoint elders in these churches, and yet a large majority of churches don't have elders. Does that mean there's no Christians in there? Does that mean the pastors leading those churches aren't, you know, don't, and does that mean they don't even love the word of God? No, they love the word of God, and yet they come to those texts, and they don't see it. They don't see it, right? I don't think it's just, a, we see it, and we're going to, ah, I don't agree with it. Some people, they just don't see it, you know, and, and, and so God has to open their eyes, So these are second tier things. Joel. Once again, this is not leaving people there. I think it's helpful to be working with these people on training them to see what we believe the Scriptures clearly say. So you have the opportunity to tell that individual, here's what God's Word says about the role of women and men in the church. Here's what the Scripture says about the role of elders in the church. You should do that. You should take advantage of that, and you should be as clear as possible. What it's it's cautioning us against is when they disagree, saying, you're a dumb liberal. You don't see it. You know, that's where we have to be really careful. I think we have to be really careful. The tendency is going to be anyone to the left of me, anyone to the left of me is a liberal. If you're left of me, you're a liberal. And guess what? If you're right of me, you're a fundamentalist. I'm Goldilocks. I've got the, the pot that's just right. So you need to think about everything just as I think about. That's where that's the danger. That's the danger we just have to, that's where the humble heart comes in. But that doesn't mean you don't train your mind, right? Uh, the other big issue, because um, this has taken up a good chunk of our time, I intended for it to because, like I said, we're three weeks in this chapter, uh, and next week I didn't want to steal Richard's thunder anyway because it goes verse by verse through Romans 14 and 15. So you're going to look at all these verses uh, as we we go on. But um, the baptism issue. So he says it's a second tier. He made a very strong comment on the back um, where he said, Baptists and Presbyterians eagerly recognize each other as believing Christians, but recognize that disagreements on issues of this importance will prevent fellowship within the same congregation or denomination. Obviously, we do not believe that here. Um, we have brothers and sisters who have disagreements on that very issue. And I think we have beautiful community here. So that is, he puts it in a, in a stronger language. Um, uh, he's also the president of a Baptist seminary. So that, that's going to be a strong point for him. Um, but, so once again, those, they're challenging in how much you're going to give to them. But that goes back to be very clear on the first order issues And then from everything else, at least be clear to realize there are true brothers and sisters who just believe differently. Okay? Any questions, thoughts? Cal. Mm-hmm. Super helpful. Philip. Is it true to say that first year or most
1: important are things that are the plainest in scripture and are emphasized by the authors as important? As well as the second tier items may be things that are not as clear that are maybe more emphasized, because there's lots of second tier issues. Mm -hmm. And then the third
0: tier is really all down to individual issues. I'd be really comfortable saying that. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, God cares about us. He wants us to know the first order things. And so I think he had, those are the most clear. I do think the first order issues are the most clear. Yes. I agree, but Philip did say that. So Philip said, first here are the plainest And then you said second tier are clearer than third, but maybe not quite as clear. And third really are, you know, yeah, eschatology. Uh, But once again, I'm not about the labels. I don't think Al Mohler's got the, you know, he's labeled all of them perfectly. Where would you put spiritual gifts on this, you know? Uh, We have a, a position the church has taken here on whether we think the miraculous gifts are for today or not. That's, once again, an issue that true Christians have disagreements over. And yet, where would we put that second or third tier? You know, you could make our... Yeah, Mark. (laughs) And some of the people who are there are not there. I, I, I truly think that. I think when you get to heaven, there will, I mean, this is Matthew 7. This is the scary, one of the scariest verses in the Bible. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I'll say, Depart from me, I never knew you. These people are convinced, convinced they're going to heaven, and they don't end up there. I think there'll be people we were convinced we would see, and it was a sham. There's also going to be people we thought, There's no chance. Sinners saved by grace, just like you. That's why they're there.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: we might just end on that, Paul. Richard.
1: Mm-hmm. mm they Mm-hmm. 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 mm-hmm.
0: good. That's really good. This time flew very quickly by. Um, we didn't even really look at the book, but that, that was the kind of the main purpose, was going through that article. Once again, not, that, that's a good clarification, Cal. This is not putting Al Mohler at the, the authority. You know, um, I disagree with where he lands on, on some of those things, but what was helpful about that was knowing there are separate tiers, and to just know... The reason you guys are all at Audubon, my guess would be you do mostly agree with the convictions on, on, on where uh, the leadership has, has decided to stand on what they believe about the Bible and what they believe the Bible teaches, both about church structure, church authority. At some level, you've agreed on that, but the, the caution is then to say, we're the only ones who have it right. That's the caution, is to say, okay, first tier is first tier, but second and third tier, love is the guiding principle. And he talks about that. Love, not law, becomes how you relate to people on second, third tier issues. He actually makes a good point that nowhere does Paul say in Romans 14 through 15, nowhere does he say the weak, and he actually says they are weak in conscience. He, He would side with the strong in terms of what he believes, but he would nowhere say they have to change their opinion. They have to fo- He force them to change their opinion. What he does say is, strong, you've got to change your stance toward them. You've got to change how you treat them, and you've got to love them, and you've got to welcome them, because that's more important than them changing their opinion on what they think about eating food, certain kinds of foods, and, and, and different things like that. Last thing, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 13 says, Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. In our congregation, in this congregation, you're going to find idle people, which you could also say disorderly, undisciplined, people who need training, who aren't thinking about things well, immature Christians. You're going to find disorderly, immature Christians, okay? Okay? You're also, you're to admonish them. You're going to find faint hearted Christians, those struggling, those struggling with assurance, those doubting, those just in, in hard places. You're going to find weak Christians. You're to be patient with all of them because you're to know the patience the Lord has shown you as a sinner. And that's how we treat others, right? Let's pray, and then we'll continue on in chapter 5 next week. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word, Lord. We do thank you that your Word is clear on these first order issues. That that you have delivered to all of us has of first importance the truth of the gospel. We love the Lord Jesus. We love the Jesus of the gospel, Lord. We we are grateful for him. We're grateful uh, for your Word, Lord. Help us to love others as you teach us to do so. Lord, help us to to be convicted, to have trained minds, but then to have humble hearts. We ask this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen.